coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And one of the coolest fucking things about doing this podcast is I get to talk to people in the sport, old and new, that just are at the top of their game and have been trailblazers and doing just cool, fun stuff. And this particular, um, in, well, couple of individuals have done so many cool things that have influenced my time in the sport as well as so many others. So I want to jump into it and get into a good conversation. So tell me, who the fuck are you guys and what do you do? I'm Tony Uragallo. Uh I started Tony Suits in 1976. I'm sitting here with my oldest daughter, Flora, who's managing my company right now. Yeah. Hi, I'm Flora from Florida. Flora Flora from Florida and Tony from Tony Suits. Man, pre-podcast, the first thing I had to bring up was Tony Patch Pants. Those were Uh the coolest fucking things ever. I said it before. Anybody that was a cool kid at the time had to have a pair of patch pants. And they're still – people are still wanting these things, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We're ordering them. Uh, people are ordering them now. Yeah, they were started by Flora's mum to use up the scraps, and they got really popular, didn't they? Skydiver's pants. They were super yeah. cool. Now they're uh, custom ordering them. So if we don't have the scraps, we have to uh, cut it off the roll. But it's great because my mom is still sewing them up. How cool is that? Well, I mean, and you said it before, it's great for sustainability because you're using up the scraps that would normally just go to waste. But I remember when they started out, or at least when they uh, made uh, notice with me, that was at the time when Scott Evers were kind of the – kind of being the the grubby get out there and just shred type of thing and it was the you know the uh, initial baggy sweatshirts and the pants and stuff and tony pants pants were like the ones that you had to have like i started learning how to free fly in a pair of patch pants that's awesome where was that dean paris valley paris valley yeah yeah we love it out there that was the first time i ever rode in a king air and experienced zero g <laughs> i had a interesting childhood let me tell you that yeah speaking of paris in the wales competition wingsuit oh really Oh, very cool. Well, now, speaking of the crazy childhood and stuff, I want to jump all the way back to the beginning. And, Tony, obviously, we're going to start with you. So you started this company in the late 70s. But how did you get started in in skydiving? Or were you doing other extreme stuff before you started jumping out of airplanes? A little bit. We thought it was extreme. We were jumping military jumps in 1970. Uh, I joined the reserves in London. And we would jump in with 105 pack outsets and a Land Rover. And uh, <laughs> from around the hills, blowing up hills, practicing, firing these giant guns. And, and we thought that was great, you know. <laughs> and then uh, a drop zone came along and gave us a quick course uh, uh, and talking about it, you know. And three of us that lived in London, one of them I was in the cadet with in London when mm. we were 14. We were in the TA together, the reserves, and we went along and jumped at Fruxton in London, in Wiltshire in London, in uh, sorry, west of London, and um, we stayed together forever. How cool and is that? Jumping, jumping, and uh, we were just 
two years in sport and William Group came in and asked us if we wanted to do a team. He bought us all rigs and a band. And we went off to train. The rules were back loop, four man, four man back loop, four man. And just as we were leaving, they changed the rules to sequential, similar to what they're doing now. Mm. And we came back to the nationals and we're the only ones that train uh, the new rules. And so we won the nationals in our second year in the sport. <laughs> and we stayed together forever. And I immediately started making jumpsuits. I started sewing as soon as I started skydiving. I was a bricklayer before that in London. It was awful. I hated it. Holy it shit. Wait, so yeah, how, the, how the hell do you go from a bricklayer in London to starting to jump for fun yeah. to a team to deciding you want to build jumpsuits? Where? Oh, I, I mean, holy shit. My first jump, you could steer the parachute skydiving, and I landed by the cross, and I was wrapped. I, I never went back to the military thing. Right. And I just went skydiving, and in a few months' time, I was dispatching my guys that I started with, you know. And uh, and uh, I started sewing and making jumpsuits pretty quick. Never again, you and, said, after every oh, yeah. jumpsuit. The first one, on my mum's domestic time machine, I made me one and said, never again, breaking needles every foot. <laughs> Every time you went over a team, you broke a needle. <laughs> so uh, then um, Rob Culpus, of all people, asked me to make him one. Yeah. And I did another one and said, never again, again. <laughs> and Bob Hyatt asked for a third one. And I went and bought a commercial machine, you know. Mm. And uh, I did that for two years in England, hating the winters. And then we went out to Florida, to Zephyr Hills for turkey meat. And we were kind of the Brit team. And um, we won turkey meat. And nice. way, and I started sewing, you know, got my thing together and started sewing. I sold my rig and bought a car, a sewing machine, and I rented an apartment, a pretty pond in Zephyr Hills, and started <laughs> sewing right there. Wait, that's, that's backwards for a lot of skydivers. You sold your rig to buy yeah. a car and other stuff. Most people sell their car to buy a rig. <laughs> Right. No, I got sponsored by Jump Shack for a rig. Oh, well, there you right. go. Rig pretty quick off a of Jump Shack. Yeah. Well, so where did the – And I was organizing at the drop zone and sewing suits. I was in paradise. This London boy was living in Florida skydiving. Now, where did – More DC free than any other plane. Now, where did the idea to start sewing a jumpsuit come from? Because, I mean, I don't automatically think, sure, a bricklayer wants to be a seamstress. Right. Um, well, the sewing, skydiving and sewing go together totally. Sure. And my friend came back from the Gulch in 76 there with a beautiful jumpsuit. We were wearing track suits and just army, you know, military flight suits, Air Force suits, sure. I should say. And any old thing from the Army and Navy store. And then my friend came back with this Clarson suit, Tom Clarson, and it was uh, black or white, I forget, but it had rainbow stripes on it. And it was gorgeous. And it was big and heavy cotton for drag, which mm. you needed back then for some reason. <laughs> and I copied it, laid it on the floor and copied it. I didn't pick it apart, but I just looked at the thing and, and you know, sewed up some heavy cotton and loved it. And then uh, I used to cycle across London, east to west, with a, a bag made for carrying fabric. <laughs> Quicker to ride a bike across London than to drive. And I never had a car anyway. Hmm. And uh, I'd come back with enough fabric for one or two suits. 
And I'd do that in my bedroom and did that for two years and then went out to Florida. Wow. Now, I mean, obviously you said you, you kind of landed in uh, in Nirvana when you hit Florida because you're, you're in Zephyr Hills sewing suits and skydiving in fantastic weather. You know, you got the clouds that come in around two o'clock and then they go away and you jump all day long. So you, you get there, were you working in skydiving outside of sewing or did you right away go into yeah, manufacturing suits? Just an organizer on the drop zone, you know, uh, organizing loads. So I was getting free skydives and uh, just make the odd suit every now and again, you know. Well, you just, were... Uh, I mean, you were you were in a, a crazy time too. I mean, I, I I've had the the pleasure of talking to a, a few guys that were jumping back in the same time frame, and and uh, um, the all the stories that come out about the like the old skydiving T-shirt. I remember when sex was safe and skydiving was dangerous. Well, yeah. that's when you were building your first suits. It must have been some amazing times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave Rickaby was a popular artist back then. I remember he had a shirt that said, Mock not thine altitude, for thy ground shall rise up and smite thee. <laughs> yeah, I, I had Tony shoots on these shirts with sport death all over them. Wow. Oh, wow. I mean, I remember I talked to, to Bill Booth uh, um, last year on the podcast, and he was telling me some of the stories of stuff that was going on. And of course, he was an innovator in a different way going with the gear and stuff. But I mean, uh, um, it just did you did you know that you were kind of at the beginning of something huge when this was all going on? No, not at all. Not at all. But it was fabulous to watch, wasn't it? The sport changes so far from military gear. You know, we were using C9LLs mm. to start, and then paracommanders, and I saw the first squares come out, and they used to malfunction half the time. Right. And then the Stratostar came out with uh, ropes and rings, and off we went from there. But the sport is changing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you were there for free flying. You were there for yeah. canopy swooping, like for yeah. wingsuiting. Always starting all that. Yeah. That was great. Yeah, we used to make Patrick the Gaird on suit. I just had all my teeth out, so I'm talking kind of funny. Oh, fair um, enough. Uh, Patrick DeGuerdon used to have us make him a, a regular jumpsuit with a zips in the arms and leave the side seams open, side seams open, and he put the wings in. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was the start of that. He died. Adrian Nicholas did the same thing with me. He died. And I was turned off by it a little bit. And then Birdman came out. And that was really complicated with all the cables. And I thought, I'll watch it, see how that goes. But I thought I'd get into it one day and did. And I started base jumping but didn't like that much until I knew that I would like it with wingsuits. I knew I would like jumping off a mountain in a wingsuit. Mm. And uh, I did it and loved it. It was great. But then you see everybody dying all around you. Yeah. So I went off well. That's, yeah. that's kind of, I mean, actually that's a, that's a, a good point that you bring up because it's uh, obviously everybody that, that gets into skydiving and stays in skydiving realizes that that's, that's part of the game. You know, that's, that's the price that we pay for being in the sport is we're going to, we're going to lose people. We're going to watch people die, um, which is yeah. fucking horrible, but obviously we all cope with it because we stay in the sport. And most people I know stay in the sport, not just because they want to jump, but because they love the community of it and the community of it's what makes those losses so hard so how do you yeah. how do you wrap your head around 
especially with the wingsuits. And I've asked different wingsuit guys and canopy manufacturers, how do you personally cope with knowing that some of the equipment that you're building, someone's going to go out and do something that's going to get them killed on? Yeah, the first thing I look for in a fatality report is did I make the guy in the suit? And it's usually wingsuits on the on the base jumping fatality report. Sure. And yeah, the first one hurts and the second one hurts more and you've only got so many of those before you're just sick of it. That's and you why don't you want sold, to do that anymore. That's why you sold canopy making man. You, you yeah, stopped doing that, yeah. right? Yeah, I made uh, ellipticals, um, parachutes. Um, I saw one paragliding. And I was making kites to try it, skydiving. Mm. And uh, this is before wingsuits. And um, everybody's asking me, why are you doing that? What's, why, how, can you, how can you cut the corners off? How will it steer? What's wrong with the rectangle? And I just kept saying, I don't know, I don't know. And then I read, read Jonathan Livingston Seagull. We are asking the seagull, why, mm. the other seagull, asking him, why are you doing this? Why are you flying fast with barrel rolls? Right. Why not just hunt for food like the rest of us? He's just saying, I don't know, I don't know. So I called the parachute Jonathan after the seagull, Richard Barth. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the elliptical thing took off totally, didn't it, you know? And then uh, I told John LeBlanc that an, an elliptical with ZP and his, um, his um, cross bracing, the tricell cross brace, would be the, the, the winner. Yep. And sure enough, it did. That's all the state-of-the-art parachutes are now, a cross brace ZP with uh, elliptical. I love that that's where the name Jonathan came from. I had no idea that that was the story, and I love that fucking book. As a pilot and as oh, a skydiver, I love that book. Oh, skydiver's book, isn't it? Why are you doing this? Why? Oh. And it's no skydiver knows, really, because it's fun, you know, is the best answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no. they will go up and explore, and they'll go unstable, and they'll laugh. And the third time they try it, they'll think, well, why did I think that was hard? It's not so hard. Sure. And then on something else to, to flail at, and they come down laughing like a baby skier or something, falling over in powder snow. <laughs> right. You, you don't get hurt. You just go unstable. Sure. And you might spin in a wingsuit, which is kind of scary, but you get out of it. Now, and you're older and wiser. But you backed away from canopy manufacturing because people were getting hurt. Yeah, every time the phone rang, you wondering if it's someone else that – I couldn't believe how fast the parachute went near the ground when he went behind the trees. The canopy just took off on him. His old parachute didn't do that. Mm. And he broke his leg or a hard opening or the parachute might have tore or something. I didn't like it much. Jump to, uh, wingsuits, I like parachutes and jumpsuits, of course. Sure. And I love that. I, I really, and, and you spend all week making a prototype parachute and you sort of didn't notice a difference much. And that's kind of depressing. But a wingsuit, you make the smallest change in a wingsuit because you're doing 200 mile an hour. Sure. You notice a difference. And you test these things. You go into a dive and you have one jump where you're going to do the competition run, which is you get, you dive for 12 seconds or something, get your speed up, and then you come out and you shoot across the sky looking at the numbers, listening to the numbers in your head. Right. In, in your, your GPS is talking to you. And it's too cloudy to do that. And you change your jump totally in the middle of the jump to flying around the clouds, which is just even more fun than working, you know? Sure. And I time it in the summer to be up between 11 o'clock and two o'clock before the storms. Hmm. And you, these outrageous skies, you're flying around these clouds and the, you watch the tandems go and you get out after the tandems and the pilot sometimes will take you over to a cloud. If he's your buddy, <laughs> you fly around a cloud the whole way down or with two people. 
And uh, they just had a boogie doing that in the summer in Florida. Who goes to summer? Who goes to Florida in the summer? Right. They just to fly around the clouds in the summer. The whole way down, you're flying around the clouds. See, that's so funny because uh, I probably cursed your name without knowing I was cursing your name because I flew for a couple of drop zones where the FISDO, the local FAA office, was all over us. And so I had to be super careful of cloud clearance. And I'll be damned right. if I wouldn't drop wingsuiters out that'd make a beeline straight for the first fucking cloud. And the <laughs> FAA is up my ass because they think I'm dropping jumpers in the clouds. And I'm like, what this fucking guy? I flew a mile and a half away to get to the cloud. Yeah, yeah, five or six miles. Yeah, well, that's it. We saved you guys because now, oh, he was a wingsuiter. He flew over there. I did. I dropped him the legal distance from the cloud. Yeah, the wingsuit flew over to the cloud. Oh, so there you go. We saved the pilots. That was always the that was always the battle at that particular drop zone was trying to keep wingsuiters away from the uh, away from the clouds. But the the catch twenty two for me as always as a pilot has always been I'm a jumper first and I know how fucking cool clouds right. are and right. I I love that kind of stuff. And as a jumper, you're never going to get me to stay in the door if uh, you know there's something good out there. As a pilot, it's a whole different story. So it becomes, it becomes this uh, whole battle. You see the beauty of the sky, don't you? When you go above the clouds, oh. you look at these clouds and the light's just right and it's so beautiful. Oh, it's stunning. It's... I still get off on that. Even from the ground, I'll look up and see that. So now they when... Talk once you've jumped, you'll forever have your head in the clouds. But as yep. a wingsuit, it's even more so. Oh, it's got to be. It absolutely has yeah. to be. And I will... I will cop to the fact that even after 10,000 jumps, I've still yet to jump a wingsuit. Uh, I know, I know, I know, but I. Yeah, as a pilot, you'll find that quite boring. It's a very slow skydive. Yeah. You send it 30 miles an hour. Well, see, that's the funny but thing is I get to do the same thing in the airplane on the way down on those cloudy days. I'm doing the same shit that a wingsuiter's doing. I'm just doing it with uh, a couple of engines. Yeah. The photos are amazing to see the wingsuiter and the airplane just diving down. Yeah, everybody's the doing RW now with clamp with airplanes. Well, in the. Yeah, perf- like- yeah. The performance with the wingsuits has gotten to the point where they can keep up with most jump aircraft. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I've been in dives. I've done jumps and dived and um, flown around the clouds. And the pilot afterwards said, that was a good jump. I said, how do you know? He said, he's following me. <laughs> <laughs> he was descending in the twin otter and he was following me. Isn't that great? It's now, yeah. so yeah. when did Tony suits become Tony suits? Because you were obviously building these suits for friends and stuff and making money on the side, but when did it become the company that we all know n- and now? 82? Yeah, 82 maybe, 1982, 76, 79, <laughs> 82, I think. Yeah, I, I, it's all a blur. I mean, this is a cr- – I, mean, no, a- I like all the dates. Uh, after 77 – was uh, the competition in Australia. Uh, I forget. I did a competition forever and Tony suits and all that, but all the dates were a blur. It was just like getting on the bus, you know. Sure, sure. And it just all followed along. It just followed my nose through the sport. It led me. Well, you know, I mean, especially for, for somebody like me that's been in it for a while now. I've been jumping for about 25 years, but Tony suits has been a staple 
along with a very few other companies throughout all the years. You always knew that there were going to be some companies that were always there. It was always going to be, Javelin was always going to be there. UPT in its few different names that it's had. PD was always going to be there. Uh, and Tony yeah, Suits was always going to be there. And it's, it's. Workshop was there before me and Jump Shack was there before well, me, but, but not many others. No. Yeah, yeah, it's Relative Workshop, but Relative Workshop and, and Jump Shack were there before me, but nobody else really. I mean, how powerful in those days? They were there. How quick did but, it all um, go by? I mean, uh, uh, it the last twenty five years has been a blur to me, but to you, it must have just gone by in a blink. Yeah, yeah, it's fifty years, fifty years of jumping. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> just now. Yeah, you got and inducted into the Skydiving Hall of Fame. Yeah, and said, I ended I'm with done. the Hall of Fame. That's it. And that great. And Retire. the Royal Era Club went to England for an award in the Royal Era Club. See, and this, I'll tell you what, man, this is probably my favorite part about skydiving, and I've said it on a number of podcasts. I was lucky enough when I was a very young skydiver to shoot a video for Lou Sanborn. Um, so I'm jumping with license D one. I'm, I've got Craig Gerard in the podcast. I've got Omar El Higalan in the podcast I've all these amazing people. And I've got a, a fucking hall of famer sitting on the phone, talking to me, telling me stories about the suits and you're still out doing it. I love that. It's such a young sport and I still get to hang out and talk to and learn from the people that were pioneering the stuff. And that's so fucking cool. It's just so cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a lawyer over here, and he's in awe listening to the guy that does the trash. Because the guy that does the trash can do 17 loops in a free fly position or something. Isn't you that know? crazy? That's just so yeah, cool. You know? Equalizer. The great yeah. equalizer. Yeah, it's a fabulous sport for that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And you go all over the world. you got a friend everywhere in the world if you go to any drop zone anywhere. That's it, right? Yeah, you know, even a job if you want one. That's it. I mean, that's kind of the yeah, thing, too. Yeah. Obviously, that's been a big topic of discussion over the last six months or so as people are worried about jobs. And, and uh, you know, I came to the grips uh, quite quickly during uh, COVID and all that stuff that uh, outside of skydiving, my life as a pilot is very limited. But I was a working skydiver long before I was a pilot, and there's always going to be drop zones. Yeah, yeah. They party hard. Tiger Woods loves partying with skydivers. He's, uh, he's a skydiver. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I would fucking hope so. They party hard. If they don't fall in the fire, it's tons of fun. So, all right, you came up during some of the craziest times in skydiving. you got to have a couple of war stories. War stories? Yeah, you, yeah. you must have seen... Hard ones or sad ones? Well, let's keep it fun. I mean, Quincy, you were there for all the Quincy. Yeah, I did every Quincy. That was great. Yeah, I mean, so how wild did Quincy get? Oh, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> madness. Um, and storms. I was working there. I couldn't party too hard, but there was five bars on a drop zone. <laughs> and three alcohol on a drop zone, which was great fun until they let the locals in. And the locals are fighting because some – their girlfriend went off with some Swedish guy. <laughs> so the, the, the locals couldn't handle the free beer, and they started throwing punches, and then the police arrived, oh. and that ruined that. Then we went to Rantoul, and the same thing happened there. Yeah. As soon as they let the locals in, they started throwing punches. The skydivers never fight, do they, you know? No, not like, really. Right, and that was the end of that. Then he started involving the police, and that was that ruined it. Oh. 
You um, never see events like that that have that many aircraft yeah. and that many people. It's just unheard of nowadays. It's just very large, small boogies. Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, obviously everything changes a little bit, but uh, I intentionally missed out on some of the big days. Obviously, Quincy and, and uh, then Rantoul had reputations for uh, a, a danger level that were pretty high up. I mean, uh, um, was there yeah, ever a Quincy that somebody yeah. didn't die? Yeah, I saw people die. I saw a guy hit the uh, the honeysucker truck. Yeah, and, I heard. Uh, I heard about he that one. In the back riser, and he hit the, the honeysucker truck. Put them a B license, and then you you want to you want a twin otter doing a four way, and you open up, and there's a hundred parachutes in the sky from the other twin otters that were running in with you. They were running to the right, and then to the left, and then to the right, and you get out on the four way, you're in the sky with a hundred people. <laughs> So you're landing in these little fields with all these other canopies and they all got, you know, velocity, fast, fast parachutes when they've only got 150 jumps or something. Right. So that's the most dangerous part and golf carts driving all over the, the, the drop zone. I nearly hit one once. Oh. I screamed out to the golf cart. I'd hit it. I couldn't avoid him. He stopped and I always buy it. If you want some stories. My best stories are base jumping where you're jumping in China. And the finish line was under a cable car. It was a 45-minute-long cable car. Really? And you would fly under the cable car, duck your head to make sure you missed the thing, <laughs> and then you fly into the middle of the valley with a flare to open. And when you were in the cable car coming back up, you see your friend. Maybe on one occasion for me, I saw smoke leave the mountain, and he flew around, and, oh, there goes James by the, uh, the cable car. And uh, that was some crazy stuff. Man, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll and tell you, that's... Button died and I went off it, totally. That's that's one thing I never got into. Uh, right about the time that I would have gotten the itch to start base jumping, my daughter was born, and I was already yeah, yeah. a skydiver, and that was kind of already pushing it. Um, so once she was born, I was still, you know, wondering how safe skydiving really was. So I decided not to push it, and then it just became this thing with me. And I love watching it and i love the athletes that are in it and i'm um you know awe inspired by most of the stuff that they're doing i'm just not that's not for me yeah, yeah. my dad and i have we have an agreement that i won't start base jumping till he's gone but now i don't think i'll i don't think i'll even have any sure, having a baby yeah yeah no shit hey that, let's let this, his... Leonardo Uragello. no we're not calling Let's hit the pause button on everything else. Congratulations, Flora. Why, thank you. How cool is that? And am I mistaken or did I see it's a little boy? It is a little boy. Little oh, guy. shit. <laughs> How excited are you? Very, very excited. Yeah, it's a, a different chapter. I mean, I've done some scary things in my life, but now this is just talk about unknowns. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Inside of you. Now that that that's actually a perfect segue because I want to talk about you as a kid with Tony as your dad. I mean, obviously, your entire life that's been his life. So, what was it like growing up knowing, oh, dad does this and he jumps out of these and he goes to these events and this shit's kind of crazy? Did you know it was crazy or was it just normal? 
Oh, it was definitely just normal. And uh, and I learned very quickly that there was skydivers and non-skydivers. And <laughs> the non-skydivers think you're a liar because they just don't believe that you saw a naked man jump a fire on a bicycle. <laughs> you know, or shoot up a trailer when the person disappeared in the middle of the night and just never came back, Theo. Where's Theo? Oh, where's Theo? Yeah. And so, yeah, just, I would just, you know, I had a bunch of random stories, but I had a million parents, you know. Right. And, Laura and, did her first freefall convention at one year old. Me and your <laughs> mum. We were in the as well. I can imagine, listen to these explosions going on. Yeah. Before uh, Quincy, what was a freefall convention? Mary is it? Yeah, no, well, not Freeport. 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 And then there was uh, Muskogee. Where Freak the Brothers. The Freak were. Brothers Convention that was, was called, cool, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Flora's first convention. Jesus. And then every year after that, I she asked to up. go back. And he said, no, he would not let me um, until I had to find another ride there when I was 17. So, yeah, I had a big gap. Yeah, I'm going to take my 15-year-old daughter to a free-fall convention. <laughs> right. You, you know? See, that was the thing with me, too, because I've got a daughter as well, and people always used to ask me if I would let my daughter make a skydive if she wanted to. And the answer was, I'll absolutely let her jump as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. Because <laughs> if she goes to a yeah. drop zone, she's going to meet guys like me, and that's yeah. bad. <laughs> Yeah, because she's beautiful. Yeah, you know, and so luckily I kept her away from all of that until she had a good enough head on her shoulders that she could see what was coming. But I, I don't know. I mean, so you took this big break when you got back onto the drop zone. Did you kind of know you were coming back? You were fresh meat on the drop zone, weren't you? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Me? No, no. I knew how to handle myself, and I knew, you know, just – skydivers it's different if i think you're you know an, an adult female and you have no idea and so sky gods is you know they just seem like this amazing person and guaranteed they are very experienced and, and worth that title i suppose but yeah for me there you know my dad was you know just very uh, experienced himself so they just seemed like normal people not awe-inspiring so uh I mean, very when you grow up with that environment and that's your normal, how does that normal guy or normal girl that doesn't know anything about skydiving, are they just almost, uh, how do you view that those people that aren't skydivers? Um, You know, people usually very inquisitive. I tend to kind of, find out how how scared they are of skydiving and kind of see if they're going to do it or not. I, I kind of tease them a bit and just see and, you know, but oftentimes when I find non-skydivers on the drop zone, then uh, it, it, it's kind of fun to see what they're going to do because they always get super anxious and super right. excited. I enjoy them. Yeah. I like talking to the tandems. Oh, yeah. Ordinary people. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. I'm excited. Everybody, I, I wanted to buy a tandem operation just for that. I liked hanging around with the people there for the first time. Well, so because they've, they've kind of, if they're at a drop zone, that means that they show interest even though they have no knowledge about what's going on, which is wonderful because they're, they're kind of dipping their toe, which means they're, right. you know, they're, they're open to, to what's going on, which is wonderful. Yeah. It really is. Oh, yeah. 
And it's so easy to impress them with your information. Right. It's such basic information. You know, yes. you land there and you take off there. It's easy. And well, they and- come, and let's let's admit it. It's very cool to to be sitting there having a conversation with someone who you can clearly see is soaking up every single word you're saying. It's yeah. fun. It uh-huh. is. Now, so Tony, what did you think uh, at 17 when Flora started getting back into the skydiving world and and eventually jumping and all that? Uh, were you like, oh shit, my daughter's in a she's a skydiver? Yeah, it's a whole new thing when you see a kid walking towards a plane. Right. Yeah. You know, you've been around it forever. You know, you trust the instructors. It's fairly safe, isn't it, if you abide by the rules? Actually, I have to give you you credit because, you know, I said, Dad, I don't want to skydive. And he's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah, I said, no, no, I'm doing this. And he said, okay, here's what you're going to do. And it was the same thing when I started paragliding. He was like, wait, what gear are you buying? Who are your instructors? And you went out and learned to paraglide so that you could understand what it was that I was talking about as I was beginning to paraglide. So, yeah, you've definitely been like, oh, God, but supportive. Right, that so, yeah. it's, I think for, it's harder for a, a skydiving parent to cope with mm-hmm. the skydiving world for their kids than it is for a non-skydiver because we know enough. Enough yeah. to know, okay, well, you yeah. You know, I mean, I'll tell the average person, you know, doing a tandem skydive is a very safe thing. And I firmly believe that. But yeah. that one in a million chance shit happens. Well, one in a million sounds great when it's anybody but your kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it's your yeah, kid, it's one in a million's like yeah, still. <laughs> this is the million and one. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, it was uh, when my daughter made her first tandem skydive, I made a point to only sit. I wouldn't even fly the plane. I rode co-pilot in the plane. I wouldn't be on the jump. I wouldn't take her on the tandem for a number of reasons. First off, I wanted it to be her experience, not tainted by dad and his nerves. But two, I was too fucking nervous to have anything to do with it. I'm like, just tell me she's down safe. That's all I need to know. but she didn't get into the life so especially tony for you as flora grew up and got into skydiving and and now obviously she's running your company how was it as you realized oh wow she's not just gonna jump she's a proper skydiver yeah she's just one of the crowd don't think yeah um you stop thinking of her as your daughter sure and sure. uh, you're watching her learn how to do this stuff, you know, how to live in sport, how to try and make a profit in the business in sport. We're looking at dolphins go by. Mm. Um, in our new house, so we live on the river, and we're watching dolphins swim by. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, and you're proud of your kids. I've got four kids, and they're all jumped um, mm. off and on. And wow. So, uh, it's just like it's your life, isn't it? You know, it's just yeah, what everybody does. It's, sure, you know, well, it is we skydive. Now, Flora, how was it for you? You know, you're, you're growing up, and obviously, as a kid, that's just normal to you. You get back into it at 17 and, and start jumping on your own and getting active in the sport. Um, was there a shadow to try and get out from under because you're the no. Tony's dad? Or was it, uh, uh, oh, this is Tony's kid, and, and you were more welcomed? Or did you have your own independent person? You know, were, were you separated by that? 
Oh, I would have to say that, um, you know, doors open and I, you know, love my dad so much. So to hear people say, oh, Tony's daughter, I love him so much. I'd be like, yeah, he's awesome. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and it was kind of that, you know, that safe space, that safe card I had in my pocket that, you know, I could always say, hey, you know, I'm, you know, kind of, can you take me under your wing? I'm new to this drop zone. Maybe you know my dad. So it it definitely helped open a lot of doors for me. So. All right. So we had a little bit of a technical difficulty, but we're back to it now. Um, Flora, you and I had been talking about when you were just getting started in skydiving, but Mary, I believe, is in on the conversation as well. Yeah, this is my dad's wife, Mary. She's been around for skydiving for a long time, too. Yeah, 1986. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. And you got hooked up with this crew, huh? Mm -hmm. Actually, I got... Uh, hooked up with uh, Tony, um, 1987, uh, I was working up at the sandwich drop zone. I came down uh, for winter and okay. he needed some sewers. So he approached me on the drop zone and said, I heard you're looking for a job. I need some sewers. And so that's how um, I met Tony and Tony Suits. And um, and uh, I did that for a couple of seasons. And then, um, of course, uh working the boogie circuit, did a lot of manifesting and um, invitational um, um, uh, organizing with Roger Ponce. And uh, we did that for over 20 years. And so we were boogies together. I saw Tony as a vendor and worked the convention for over 20 years and manifest. Yeah, so um, and then you ran history. a gear store too at Cross Keys. Yes, we're three, but seven now, years. She's more excited than ever because she has new Wellington boots and she's <laughs> in them right now in the house. <laughs> they're white. They look like bogo boots. They're fabulous. Yeah. So, Wait, so getting better. Mary, you rode uh, or you were running the, the gear store at Cross Keys? Yeah, from 2000 until 2000, uh, the end of 2006, first of 2007, yeah. you were running the gear store when I was there then. I bought shit from you. You must have, yeah. Yes, I was there end of 03 to 06. Well, there you go. Maybe you bought from her. I bought uh, uh, I bought two different sets of camera wings, although uh, I hate to say it, they were a firefly. Wings. Yeah, sold a lot of Firefly too, and uh, did, so did you go through the demo program with me? Uh, no, I didn't go through the demo program. I was, uh, um, I was, I, I showed up in Cross Keys specifically to chuck drugs and shoot video, so I had all my own <laughs> shit by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. And I was yeah. jumping with with uh, um, Worthington and Jacko and Danny Coon and that whole crew. Yep. Yep. Oh my yep. gosh. Great memories. Insanity. Those are still some of the craziest times I've ever had in the sport, and by far my best memories were, well, almost memories. At least that's what I think happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's coming back, though. Cross Keys, it's under new ownership, Pico and Nadia, and uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're awesome. I hear it's doing great, and I hear it's almost, it's starting to gain a little bit of the the uh, energy back that it had. I mean, I I think I was there at the the apex of it all because it was like over the top crazy, and oh four oh five were some pretty wild years. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Will and, uh, and, uh, Selwyn. Selwyn. Selwyn just was in a bad accident. Yeah, I know. I actually was putting the word out on the podcast for him because they had a GoFundMe that actually did quite better mm -hmm. than the goal that they set. Uh, and mm -hmm. I guess he's he's doing True. better, which is great. And I keep in touch with Will as well, who's living in France and teaching yoga. Seriously. <laughs> yes. Awesome. What, that is good news. That was some crazy times, you know. Right? The, oh, my gosh. Uh, the People crane do not and the 400 foot, you know, there was, uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, oh gosh, it's around the tip of my tongue. The drop, the drop zone owner, you know, um, don't do that. You know, you guys have to promise me that you're not going to do that. And then, oh yeah, we promise, we promise. And then the next thing you know, they're jumping the end of the crane. So, wow. uh, and well, survived it. Eddowes was the one that was stoking the most of the fires. He's the one that made sure people knew that the keys were still in the backhoe left on the landing area. He, I mean, the first oh, week that I was there, I showed up and he, he asked the new guy, which was me, hey, do me a favor and would you take this rental van back down to the rental company down the road, not knowing that they had had that van for a bachelor party. And when he gave it to me, there were like 500 beer bottles. And I had to return it to the rental company with glass bottles falling out of the door as I'm getting out of it. Uh, yeah. Don Eddowes and Cruzy together were quite a team. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good, good fun. And then sometimes the fun didn't turn out so good. Yeah. But, yeah great well, that was that was the Cross Keys thing, too, is it was this blessing and a curse because they were the best times I ever had with some of the worst um, memories, you know, sporadically mm -hmm. dashed in there uh, to spice it up. And, I mean, there were, there were a fair amount of fatalities and injuries and accidents and some stupid shit that went down among mm -hmm. the most amazing – it was – I mean, it was it was a commune for skydiving. It wasn't a drop zone. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, yeah, you never get out alive, <laughs> right? Alive, and then it got kind, of, and then it kind of took a, a downturn, and now it's it's back up again. Which is amazing. We run away, Dean. We're looking out our bay of windows here onto the river, and there are, I'd say, half, six to eight dolphin swimming around in there fishing right yeah. now. That's what Tony just said. Yeah. yeah, there's loads more than we ever see. So much wildlife in Florida; it's beautiful. It's because they know we're we're talking now. I'm nostalgic. They're yeah. they're feeling the good energy. Today yeah. we got up at five thirty. We have friends visiting. Uh, chap priest from Dekine Rags. Do you remember Dekine Rags? I remember Dekine Rags very yeah. well. Yeah, they're visiting. We walked the beach, Nishmana Beach, up to the Ponce Inlet. And then uh, went to an Argentinian restaurant for breakfast afterwards because his wife is um, Argentinian. Uh, is Fabiola. Argentinian. I'm trying to remember her name. Fabiola. Uh, Fabiola, yes. And then um, we yeah. just to show them the, the bit of land we just bought. But it was fun to sit at the table with them last night to hear all of their stories that they got going mm. from back in the day. I haven't seen them since convention. Oh, and that's another thing, Dean, getting these two guys together and putting their heads together about what do you think about this? And um, what do you think about this And what about this inlet? And how about this? The two brains together. This circle of energy and, and 
ideas. It was really fun. Yeah. You know, it's really cool too. I mean, that's, that's probably my favorite part about skydiving is um, not just the jumping, but the stories that it all generates. And the, you get the people back together that were involved in the jumps or the parties or the events or the locations. And that energy just comes flooding right back. Like you were, like it was yesterday. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like a, a proper flashback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love the store at Cross Keys. Square Three was the place. You know, the couch and the TV and stuff, and people just came to hang out and talk. And oh yeah, um, yeah, it was it was good. It was always a blur to me because, uh, of course, you remember back in those days, we were so crazy busy on the weekends. You know, the instructors mm -hmm. were doing 25-plus tandems a day, and you had mm -hmm. enough time for a Coke or a Red Bull and a, a Snickers bar, and, and then mm -hmm. any flat surface you could crash on after the fact. And there were more than a few times I flopped on the couch in the gear store going, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? Uh, and then yeah. everybody did the tiki bar at the end of the night, and – you know, have beers and laugh and talk and yeah, just uh, it was perfect. Well, they still do. Still there, still rocking. Oh yeah, I mean my my some of my favorite memories were back around the tiki bar. Not even the big parties, although they are obviously you know the standouts. When we did the world's record at the time for the most tandems, and Red Bull mm -hmm. paid for the big party that we had on the drop zone. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that obviously stands out. But actually, one of my biggest standout memories, uh, and you'll remember this as well, was when Sarah passed away on the drop oh, yeah. zone. And oh, we, had the, we had the funeral, and Cruzy uh, got up uh, in front of this uh, church who knew nothing about skydivers. And it was packed full for Sunday Mass, and they were doing something special for Sarah. And Cruzy asked all the, the skydivers to stand up. And when we all stood up, you could hear an audible gasp from the congregation because so many people came out. And it was, he gave this wonderful, amazing speech. And I remember being so ridiculously proud to be a skydiver then supporting wow. one of ours at that time. You know, so it was sad, but it was also such a proud moment. And, and Cross Keys will always stand out in my mind for stuff like that. Man, that's so great. I totally thought you were going to say he asked everybody to stand up and give a hymn. Him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, that would well, in retrospect, that would have made it perfect after the fact. <laughs> and knowing Cruzy, you know, he might have done that. Yeah, yeah. Cruzy was definitely known for that sense of humor. And then, of course, uh, the late Rob Stanley. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I mean, come Just extraordinary on. people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was it was this perfect storm of this this crazy talented group of people at a great time in the sport as well because it was when a lot of different stuff was really taking off. That was when the PST tour was going on and swooping was really coming into its own, and you know it was amazing. Well, yeah, and Al Birchtold at at Krosky started uh, Swoop Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. So and you know that took him on his journey through the swoop competitions and. And all that. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that were generated out of Krosky's. Well, and now, Al, I mean, he's the new national director. Yeah. Thank goodness. He oh, just man. left PD. That's so crazy. Yeah. Right? Great. Uh, I will admit that when he announced or when it was announced that he was the new national director, I instantly felt old. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Little Albert's all grown up. Yeah, I'm like shit. One of one of ours is like the 
the big guy. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> nerve too. Yeah, wow. I think perfect fit for that position. I think so. I think so for sure. Now, uh, outside of all of this stuff, so tell me uh, about Tony now. Tony Suits is, is has been a staple of skydiving basically from the beginning, uh, and it's still doing gangbusters. Are, are there new and exciting things coming? Are you guys getting through this this bizarre time of COVID all right? I mean, how how are things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the community, it was a little scary there because everybody didn't know what was going on. But, uh, you know, skydivers miss skydiving and they just got right back into it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's sure. it's picked up again. And yeah. um, but, you know, we really it's it's because of our amazing athletes that we have on board. And they're the ones that are out in the field. And you know, we find new technological advances. But we really rely on them to, you know, test things out and come back to us and tell us what works or or maybe they have new ideas about something and their riggers tried it and they want us to adapt it to to all of their suits and it just creates a new wave through the industry. Mm-hmm. So sure. it really is the the community supported company. Um, and so, you know, and then we get other big wigs in the sports that say, oh, I saw this horrible thing happen and I have this idea for a new safety feature. And, you know, we all put our heads together and, and try to advance it that way. So, yeah, we, we, our minds combined, we, we make it through, I think. Sure. Well, now, Flora, you spent a good chunk of time doing the boogie circuit as well, so you must have learned a whole lot out in the field as well. Oh, yeah. So great. Boogie, boogies, drop zones, they're all so different. And, you know, it's hard when people say, well, what was your favorite boogie? What's your favorite drop zone? Because they're all just, you know, apples and oranges, and it's just their own unique flavor. And, you know, some have unlimited jumps, but no partying and others is just you know a free-for-all and they're all so different and so unique sure. and but the people are just quality yeah no matter yeah for really sure tony tony do you uh, tony do you flinch a little bit when uh, uh when you think back that your daughter was a, a boogie uh touring representative for tony suits that's really. that's not I, I mean, so, yeah, again, he's a, he's a uh, bunch of horn dogs. They sort of look out for each other as well, you know. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I knew. You know, my dad told me to stay away from people like you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's a smart man. Yeah, and you know, your your vibe attracts your tribe. So you know, and then we all kind of look out for each other. Like, oh, when he gets. This guy over here gets a little drunk. He gets a little rapey. Watch out for him, you know. Mm-hmm. So we try not to, you know, try to stay inclusive and watch out for each other and stay communicative and support each other. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm about. Yeah, for sure. No, well, and I, I've said it before on the majority of podcasts. I and everybody agree that the biggest trot to skydiving is not the fact that we jump out of airplanes or off antennas and cliffs. It's the community. Uh, it's um, uh, it's the first place that a lot of skydivers felt was a home to them. You know, I mean, because let's face it, we can be a pretty odd bunch, but as an odd bunch, we mix very, very well. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, especially in the record stuff that we did, you know, you get people who are 
living on the drop zone who have very little money to millionaires who are, you know, who can afford everything. And we're all on the same jump with the same goal. And it's a level playing field. We're Mm -hmm. all counting on each other to to reach a goal and to get it done in a short period of time. Mm. It's um, how often does that happen out in the real world? You have 10 days or seven days to get everyone in registered, uh, get your dirt diving done and complete. And then everyone goes home and, yeah. and, it, and it was well done. So, um, well, yeah, and, and Scott Evers, man, when it comes to motivation, I don't know too many groups of people that can be as intensely motivated as a bunch of Scott Evers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people doing such an extreme thing as well. I always wondered about, you know, is that why people feel so bonded so quickly? Because it's such an extreme thing to do to throw yourself out of a safe aircraft, quote unquote, safe aircraft. And, you know, because you have other groups that do extreme things, but I, I think not in the quantity that skydiving has. So it just For sure. Changes. Well, I think it's that band of brother mentality, right? I mean, the, the whole foxhole mentality of the guy to your left or the girl to your right, uh, they're going through the same thing that you are. And, you know, like it or not, it is a dangerous sport. And we do amazing things to mitigate the danger. And we've managed to make it statistically a, sa- a very safe sport, but shit still goes wrong. And that's always ultimately in everybody's mind. I mean, people aren't shaking everybody's hand in an airplane because they really want to make sure that the guy all the way in the back of the plane that they don't know shakes their hand it's because hey this might be the last time i'm going to shake all these people's hands and spread the love yep yeah and it's even more with base jumpers as well you never know you know that morning when you say goodbye if that's going to be the last time you see them and it seems like base jumpers are even more alive than skydivers if that's even possible yeah so uh, it's a metaphor for life, for sure. Well, I mean, it's yeah. kind of one of the things, and I think everybody has that that uh, moment in skydiving where you have to decide, I am a skydiver or, whoa, that's not for me. And those moments usually come from either seeing someone injured, injuring yourself, or seeing someone killed. And for me, it was a fatality, and I had to take real stock and go, okay, shit, this does go badly. You know, I mean, something could go wrong. This might take my life. Is this something that I really want to do? And like every other skydiver that's still active, I crossed that line and went, yep, I'm a skydiver. You know, and you have to make that decision. And knowing that you're with a bunch of people that eventually had to come to that same decision too is a very um, unique thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Risk assessment and getting to the drop zone. I mean, we looked at statistics for a long time, and getting to the drop zone was more dangerous. You know, uh, when you look at skydiving fatalities than auto accidents. Yes, yeah. yes. The only difference so, between an auto accident and a skydiving fatality is the auto accident doesn't make the news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. High you speed know. law. It's it's a killer. But you know, it. I think that if you ask any skydiver how they want to die. You know, it's not in a hospital bed rotting away or in a car accident or something, you know, it's like at the end of a long day of jumping on the sunset dive, you're tracking away from your group and you just, you know, pass away like Johnny Gates, my brother. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and uh, well, and that's the other thing too, right? Skydivers have a, a bit more of a pragmatic outlook to stuff like that, as well as a slightly more warped sense of humor. And that dark sense yeah. of humor, a lot of people don't understand a dark sense of humor, especially people that aren't in the environment that we're in. But that dark sense of humor is what keeps you sane. Yeah, coping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it, I think a lot of it is uh, about living now, yes. not you know accumulating to live later when you retire, but being in life today, present, and living today. Well, that's that's the big lesson you learn in skydiving, right? Is that it could all be gone tomorrow. I mean, we've all of us have been in the sport long enough to have seen people here one moment and gone the next, and mm-hmm. y- you can't help but realize, oh yeah, that that could be me. I better make everything I can out of this moment while I can. And although. Yeah. You know, we're not all great at doing that at all times. We recognize it, I think, a hell of a lot more than your average person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, why why stay mad? Why argue? You know, you can, it's just all moot and point. You can be out there having fun, living large. Sure. Love yeah. large. <laughs> well, and that's... Cool. That's where companies like Tony Suits are so amazing because, you know, Tony, you were able to take something that was uh, a a passion for you and turn it into a lifelong successful company that you've now passed on to, you know, the next generation, which is spectacular. Yeah, it's kind of easy. It just followed along, you know. I never, ever planned anything. It just happened. Isn't that great? um, Mm -hmm. Necessity is the mother of invention, and you needed this in the sport. And it just happened, and people said, "Oh, let me buy one." Yep. And off we did. Yep. And it's fun, tons of fun, massively exciting. And something else always followed, you know. Just when you seem to get a bit bored with this, something else more, way more exciting came along. (laughs) Isn't that great? Now, Flora, when you took the reins and and uh, started helping work hardcore in the business, and it wasn't just the boogie stuff, uh, was it a, a kind of a um, passing of the torch moment? Were you super stoked to be? Oh wow, you know, I'm I'm helping run one of the original skydiving companies. Yeah, well, it was more of just you know, of saying, okay, here here's the team. Here's what we've got. How can I support them? Because they're way more skilled than I am. They know their job better. They know what they need. So it was more like I became the servant to them. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I had good leaders. Sorry, my dad just opened the door. Let me just. <laughs> <laughs> He's got no idea about audio things. Um, yeah, so it was more of just learning from the team and from the customers and what they needed and what they wanted. And, you know, again, relying on our athletes to, to check in with them and say, hey, how is this going? What do you need? So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's hard running a business. So right? you got to do a lot of yoga and meditation to keep it balanced for sure. All right. Dean, if I say, I think what? Flora also brought to the table was the, uh, the, the social media aspect, the understanding of the marketing sure. from, from uh, a younger generation's perspective, you know, so she injected some new ideas and, and really helped support the younger jumpers um, need for uh information we need to updates in a day and a half you know we need what's going on you know so the website and the 
the blogs and the um, social media and Facebook. She managed all of that part of it too, and which is essential these days. It really yeah. is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I started writing for Blue Skies Magazine 10 years ago, and print, as everybody knows, is fading dramatically faster than anybody mm-hmm. really thought. And now the podcast was basically born of my desire to continue on with everything that had been happening with Blue Skies, but no outlet for it. And podcasting became so popular and such an easy way to connect with like-minded people. And for me, it's just been an opportunity to basically record great conversations conversations with fantastic skydivers. Uh, but it was also a wonderful reason to jump into modern day, you know, PR and, and letting people get their word out via a podcast instead of a written article. Oh, for sure. Podcasts are definitely the wave of the, of the now, really. Everybody listens to podcasts and they're so great. But there is something to be said about, you know, having that Blue Skies magazine and you're oh, just yes. waiting for mail and you you just love it all the pictures and you see your friends in it and you're you know sharing that with them although i tell you i was at um cleveland parachute center a long time ago 15 years ago and down in the basement and this is an old school skydiving center and they had saved all of the magazines the skydiving magazines and they just had it in the archive and i remember looking through and seeing an old tony suits ad from the 80s <laughs> and it was so cool. So yeah, print ads. I mean, podcasts. Yeah, you you got to have the internet, and you got to be able to to listen to it. But there's something to be said about having that old magazine that you can look through again and be nostalgic. So. Oh, there's there's nothing like those magazines. Every every magazine Blue Skies has ever printed, I have a hard copy of. I've insisted on it, um, not just because I'm writing for it, but because they're amazing. I've still got a ton of the old parachutist stuff. I mean, it's it's your little benchmark in history. It's like your own logbook. You can track where you were in the sport by which magazine you happen to be flipping through, which is fa- it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really is. You have the pictures. You know, oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. A- absolutely. Remember- well, in just the, the fashion of what was popular and who was doing what and what gear. And for you guys, that's got to be cool as well to see the cool pictures and go, yep, I remember building that suit or I remember mm-hmm. when that order came in or when we designed that idea, especially mm-hmm. now with the wingsuit stuff that's going on. I mean, you guys must just puff up a little bit with pride going, that's our stuff. Yeah, every time. And these guys, they had like a sit suit revolution where they like found this box of sit suits and started asking everybody to send their old sit suits. And the jump out of this tailgate, I don't remember what plane it was, but the picture of it was just so fun. Yeah, we saved that one. That was recent. That was uh... Absolutely. Well, I remember jumping um my SkySurf partner Mary Tortomasi was learning to train on a board using a sit suit, which is how a lot of SkySurfers got started because it added so much stability and she'd be jumping that sit suit and I'd be training flying camera for her. And it was I mean, again, Tony suits is so tightly tied to all the jumps that I did and I've got knows how many suits of yours I've owned and the patch pants. The patch pants, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dean, you'll have to tell us your colors. Maybe we'll send you a pair. Hell yes. And I will wear them with pride, fly in the plane every damn day. Awesome. (laughs) So on to uh, the the digital stuff. Tell people how to find out about Tony Suits. What's the website? What's the social media? How do they find out everything Tony? Yep. TonySuits.com. That's T-O-N-Y-S-U-I-T-S at the end. Um, we are on phone, uh, Facebook as well. 
Tony Suit, singular. Um, and also on Instagram, Tony underscore suit. We tried to get Tony suits, but it's just this random person that has one photo of his his shoe. (laughs) (laughs) I remember like Dean Potter, when he was still alive, he actually posted on the guy's profile and, and, you know, or on that one picture and was like, hey, man, can you uh, give us your account, please? But nothing ever happened with that. So, yeah, Tony underscore suits is our Instagram (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's great. And that's a damn good story for it, though. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Tony, Mary, Flora, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. It's hilarious and wonderful and inspiring to hear some of the stories, especially, Tony, considering how long you've been at it and that there wasn't really a plan. This is just kind of how it went. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah so much and uh, uh, please keep making amazing suits and keep making the patch pants. You guys are awesome. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. You too. Keep doing what you're doing. Take care. Whew. All right. Well, there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can as always brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's right, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you're going to check out the awesome magazine, all the amazing articles, all the cool swag, all the fun shit. You're also going to submit your photos and your article ideas because we want to hear from you. That's right. We want to see those awesome pictures. We want to hear your stories. Also, if you're advertising, this is the place you're going to want to do it because Everybody comes to Blue Skies. You're also going to want to head to Pussfoot.com. It's an extreme community collective where you're going to find amazing ideas, amazing places to go, and amazing people to do really cool shit with. As for me, I am the fucking pilot. You will find me as always on the fuckingpilot.net where you find links to this and every other podcast, as well as both one, two, both the books that I've written. That's the, uh, Fucking Pilot Book, which is for Blue Skies Magazine, compilation of previously published articles, and The Accidental Stripper. All of them, both, I should say, available in print and in digital form. And someday, I promise, audiobook. Once again, thanks so much for joining. We'll see you next time around.